1: Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on Tour. We are broadcasting live again from Feast Portland. I'm Andrew Friedman of Andrew Talks to Chefs. And before we kick things off, I'd like to thank, as we have been the last few days, Travel Portland, Stream, PDX, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage of Feast possible. And I am now joined on this Saturday afternoon, barely afternoon, we're in barely into the day, with Sam Smith of Tusk Restaurant, which you own and operate in partnership yes. with Josh McFadden, mm-hmm. who is not here. No, he bailed on us. He bailed on us. Mm-hmm. What Left happened? me hanging, like Wh- usual. What's that about? <laughs> mm. Let's just say I'm not surprised, <laughs> but <laughs> we'll be okay. okay. So before we start, um, I'm, I'm sort of putting a, uh, I'm trying to, you know, covered up myself, but we're both we're both dragging a little today mm-hmm. on on the third day of this it's festival. It's been a long week. It's been a long week. Been late nights, and this is uh, afternoon, but it still feels early.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to take a nap after this.
1: <laughs> okay. So first of all, what what's your participation in the festival been?
2: Uh, so I did four things this week. On Monday, uh, Michael Solomonov and I and John Gorham did a barbecue out at the coast mm-hmm. for Rosh Hashanah. Nice. Uh, and then on Wednesday, Submarine Hospitality, which is the group that owns Tusk and Ava Jeans, mm-hmm. we did the kickoff party with uh, William Sonoma. Okay. And uh, so I made pizzas there with Anthony Falco, mm-hmm. uh, who's the original pizza guy from Roberta's. Oh, yeah. And he's the man. <laughs> and then on Thursday, I did the 80s versus 90s event. Uh, I made yes. walking tacos, so it's like Frito pie in the bag. Oh, that was and, yours. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Somebody
1: brought me... Oh, yeah. there. My colleagues brought me one of yeah, those. Yeah, I was happy
2: with that one, even though we lost. It's okay. Yeah, that was a lamb uh, chili. Yeah, it was a spicy lamb Just chili. I was paying attention. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, delicious. Uh, and then last night, I did the Lake Crusade Cooking in Color. Yeah.
1: Well, you lost, but were you? who were you guys up against?
2: We were up against Holdfast, and they did the yeah. uh, potato skin okay. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It was fine. It's tough to it, beat potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> they did great.
1: So, can we just talk for a minute because i think your um your path has been really interesting we were talking just before we came on the Mm -hmm. air you're from the west coast originally yes migrated to the east coast cooked out there and then came back not to your home state of california but to the pacific northwest and portland
2: yes so i actually went to the east coast initially to go to villanova for college and i ended up Majoring in English and minoring in philosophy and Spanish. Oh, very and useful got, things. Yeah, I got a <laughs> great education. Uh-huh. And you, made,
1: you went all the way through. You didn't ring I, the bell and no, no, and no. no. I, I made it through okay. um,
2: and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to like go, you know, stay in the academic world. I didn't want to like keep going to school because I was thought thought about being a teacher, mm-hmm. and I was like, mm, I don't think I can continue going to school and getting more degrees. And so right. I just thought about what else. I enjoyed doing, and I ended up going back to California for the summer and working at this uh, sort of institution, Italian restaurant in Oakland called Olivetto. Oh, yeah, um, sure. I've been
1: there. Paul, Bart- and, Paul Uh, used to uh be. Yeah, Paul Bartolotti. Bartolotti, sorry. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
2: And so sort of like tested it out. Yeah. Fell in love with it immediately, moved back to Philadelphia, and started cooking for the next few years there. And. hmm um ended up eating meeting Michael there and we worked together for a few years opened a together mm-hmm. um and he's the one that really introduced me to you know the style of food that I'm making now
1: yeah so you uh, when you look pre college were you did you cook as a kid or Not were you, like, really. In, really into food? Did your family go uh, to a lot of restaurants? Or was this something yeah, that really didn't click until you got that job? I
2: first? kind of took it for granted growing up, you know, because I had no other point of reference. But it was, like, you know, for birthdays and stuff, we'd go to, like, Chez Panisse for dinner and just growing up in California, you know, surrounded by such great produce. And were your parents was, from that area? Um, my dad was from that area. Okay, so he was um, around for the whole mm-hmm. thing. And, yeah. and they cooked a lot mm-hmm. uh, when I was growing up. And so it was definitely, like, A part of my life that, like I said, I didn't really realize that. I think it was more a part of my life than most people. Yeah. Um. Until I moved away and started seeing how other people operate.
1: When you started taking kitchen jobs, was it, uh, was it, uh, the cooking itself, or was it the sort of the the kitchen, the lifestyle,
2: the? I think at first it was like the lifestyle and the energy Mm -hmm. and all the different people that Um, that appealed to you. mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And then from there.
2: Um so
1: what you just we talked before we came on you decided to go to cooking school i did go to cooking school was that like a tough decision back then
2: it wasn't i thought it was what you do it's just what you do yeah um and i think like most people now who've gone through that experience um i don't know if it was totally worth it but also i think you know people have different experiences at different schools and how it applies to them and like and where they've worked and i think i probably could have gotten away with not going and
1: I don't know any chef who will tell you that it's an uh, it's an essential. Yeah. Right. And and by the same token, everybody I think, whether they've gone to cooking school or not, will tell you there's always going to be a gap between classroom and real working kitchen.
2: Yeah. Uh, classroom does not prepare you for a real working yeah. kitchen.
1: Yeah. I mean, I the I don't mean it, I don't want to trivialize combat, right? But to me, it's like there's a difference between basic training and. Going into the, you know into combat, there's a difference between practicing tennis strokes and playing a match.
2: Exactly, it's it's, it's the same kind of just, idea. It, their actual restaurant is way more intense. It's way more stressful, unpredictable, um, more unpredictable. There's stuff yeah. going wrong, you know. But uh, the classroom is good for teaching you basics. But like we were talking about before, it's like are the basics worth thirty thousand right. dollars a year? And if or... you work
1: for somebody who cares and takes that time with people, you can. And if you're smart about your own.
2: And I think that's what's hard when you're, you know, 18 or 22 yeah. or whatever, trying to like be, you know, and having never worked in a restaurant, being able yeah. to like navigate where you should work. So I know when I was first looking for jobs, I pretty much just like brought resumes to mm-hmm. every restaurant. Right. That I was just like walk down the street and just pass them out. Right. Um, yeah. And nobody wants to hire somebody with zero experience. So.
1: Right. Although there is a long tradition of that, actually, if you catch the right person if, on the right day. If somebody yeah. Just you, can, left, you can get lucky. Yeah. I mean, careers have started that. Especially
2: way. now too, because all kitchens are in such need of labor. It's it's crazy. It's so it's really hard. So I I've think uh, been, I've been surprised. There's a lot of opportunity for cooks right now because they're sort of in the position to demand more than.
1: It's a cook's market, mm-hmm. right? It used to be a, re- a chefs or an mm-hmm. owners market. Yeah, because could pick and
2: choose the best people, and now right. it's like the, it's been flipped. Just need people.
1: Yeah. So do you? You said you thought about maybe being a teacher at some point. Do yeah. you enjoy? that part of the job that's
2: as i've become a chef and had to manage people that's actually become my favorite part is is being able to teach people and i'm now that i'm older and get tired more easily the lifestyle is like not what keeps me in the industry but it's uh being able to work with people and seeing them grow and like ideally everybody that you know walks out of the restaurant when their time is up is a better cook and a better person
0: do you
1: look for that kind of sort of um uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, motivation when you hire people, people who are going to want to really kind of milk you for all the information you Ideally, got.
2: Ideally, yes. And we actually, I, re- I like to hire more based on compatibility and personality than skill. It's always great to have people that are good cooks, but, you know, like I said, you can, like teach people anything if they want to learn. Mm-hmm. And so having people that will get along and that are just like really good people in that or fun to work with, and that mm-hmm. want to absorb that information is yeah. way more important than somebody that can come in with skills and just do the job. Do
1: you spend, do you think, more time than most chefs do on the, this piece of it?
2: Maybe not most chefs, but I don't know. I th- It's definitely important to me. It's um, important to you. And, you know, I picked that up from a few people I've worked for uh-huh. as well, so.
1: Now, you twice in, like, the last three minutes have said, you know, made reference to character, mm-hmm. you know, good people. You want them to leave better people than they came in, you know, if they come in and they're smart and they're good people. Yeah. This is something you guys talk about? Is this part of?
2: Yeah, it's part of the culture, too, because I also feel like they're, you know, when I was coming in kitchens, that was, like, not an important thing. You know, it was, like, you basically wanted to hire, like, mercenaries, and it didn't matter if they were assholes. It didn't matter, like, how they treated other people. You just, like, want people in there, and I think.
1: People who could get through a Saturday night without crashing and burning. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And I think there's a lot of uh, applicable life skills that you can learn in the kitchen, and, you know, just with, like, interactions, spending a lot of time with people, cleanliness, organization, um, that you can take from what we do there and actually, mm-hmm. like, apply it to your life.
1: Right. So, you – it's interesting to me. There's – you two are a team. Uh, well, how does this work? You know, there's there's so much of this happening right now. You know, the – people who go into a restaurant together were you know co-chefs mm-hmm. co- and i find it um it's so interesting to me because there's an assumption for decades now that you know when you go to a restaurant of a certain caliber right you're part of what you're coming in for is like a, a chef's point of view the way right. when you read a, a novel you're you're looking for that author's voice or you see a film you're looking for a director's you know imprint sure how does the collaboration work because there's so much of this going around now that I'm fascinated by
2: it. So Joshua and I actually like have a really good relationship with that because the way it started was I was the he was the executive chef at Ava Jean's and I was the chef de cuisine there. And so that was, I think, a real true collaboration. We were able to teach each other everything that we had learned and sort of like come up with this food. And I think we really, in our time there, I was there for three years, like sort of developed our own style. Mm-hmm. When I left to do Tusk, he was sort of like, that's your thing. And so Tusk has become more – I think it's, like, super informed by the time that we spent together cooking. And we still talk about food and talk about dishes all the time. But um, now he pretty much is the creative force at Ava Jean's, and I'm the creative force at Tusk. Oh, so, so we, you keep it – So we keep it pretty separate. We still give each other feedback and talk about food quite a bit. You know, we eat at each restaurant all the time. So, right. um... But
1: one person has the rudder at at Tusk, mm-hmm. and the other, right? It's, so it's – you're kind of and running it, your respective ships. Yeah, okay. it,
2: I think it works better that way, just because of our time at AvaGenes, Jean's, we yeah. were able to work so many things out. Like I said, we sort of like developed, I think, a style that's very complementary to each other. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like the actual dishes that we're making now, uh, the creative process is separate.
1: That's fun. Yeah, that's great. So, can you explain this to me? I have, I have to be honest, I haven't been to this Portland in twenty years. So I've not been to your restaurants. That's okay. Okay, I have read a description of Tusk as you're owed to Oregon Crops, Fleetwood Mac, <laughs> and Moroccan Spices. Okay. Okay. First of all, is that accurate? The,
2: it's semi-accurate. It's okay. not. It's not wrong. Okay. Um, so,
1: my question is, please explain. Okay.
2: So, um, going back to the time at Ava Jean's, you know, when we opened that, we really were- Can you tell people what that restaurant is? Oh, yeah. So, it's an Italian restaurant. It's down in Division in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, it was initially opened um, with Dwayne Sorensen as the owner, who is. was- uh, used to be the owner of Stumptown Coffee and uh it was me Joshua and our friend Cameron um in the kitchen and a man named Yasuaki was the front of house manager who set up everything and killed it but um so we wanted to do sort of like our version our Pacific Northwest version of Italian food and take a lot of like, like the classic things but really have it be vegetable focused and so that was really the thing that we got most of our recognition for was uh we had a Giardini section, which is like all vegetables. We had, you know, like seven or eight salads all the time. Mm-hmm. We used a hundred percent local produce there. And that
1: a hundred percent.
2: One hundred percent. And was that hard? It was at first because you know, Tusk was honestly way easier because we'd already established all these relationships. So when we opened Ava Jeans, nobody knew who we were, nobody cared who we were. Um And we had a lot more to prove. And so when we opened that, it was like developing these relationships, trying to figure out, you know, who had the best tomatoes, who had the best beets, who we wanted to get celery from, all these things. And so that was really hard, you know, trying to like wade through, you know, 30 farms and ordering all this stuff and trying to develop these relationships with people who we thought were doing something special. And we had to prove to them that we actually cared and were making good food. before. Because they
1: had a limited amount of...
2: And they, and they work with so many people that you know they could pick and choose. They could pick and choose, and yeah. so um, I would say after about a year, farmers started realizing that we were doing something special, and then they started reaching out to us and wanted to work with us more.
1: Now, when um, you say work with you, do you do you uh, do you ever make requests of farmers to grow um, something in particular?
2: Absolutely, and it's not only just crops, but it also, also like size and. Varieties and yeah, there's lots of interaction when
1: you might want it. I assume like certain things you might want younger certain things You might want more sure. Yeah,
2: and it's we've actually even done some like seed selection with farms where They'll give us like uh, this one our favorite farm Ayers Creek uh, We did seed selection for these winter melons and so he gave us, you know Like a couple hundred pounds of these melons for free, but each one we had to cut open taste Wash the seeds, save them, and rank them from one to ten, and those are the ones that he ended up planting the next year and that selling to other restaurants. And
1: wow, that's that's so cool. pretty cool to be part of that yeah. process. Do they name it for you? No, <laughs> it, he calls it the
2: Ave Bruma melon, um, but not because of us.
1: So well, I'm just curious about this. What when you say you had to kind of prove yourself to some of these, like, what did you, would you like invite them in to eat? Would you go? pay them a visit and just talk like what was um, that sort of
2: there I mean a lot of it was like pain like it was going and visiting because I think that that's a surprisingly rare thing um I go is and, it? it is I wow. pretty much go and visit every farm that we work with every year um and we bring staff out and that's meaningful uh, and, to them and, and it's an education experience and they when you see when they see us doing that they can tell that we really care about what we're doing so mm-hmm. that's a big one um and honestly just the amount of produce that we buy um i think is what really started pulling people in is you know there's farms that you know before us you know we'll go through hundreds and hundreds of pounds of stuff a week and so right. when we start spending that much money with somebody yep. they they listen and and then we were making great food and so i think it was just a combination of us investing in them um us making food that hadn't been made in Portland before and uh, just having that relationship.
1: Now, I don't want to get corny, but there's a lot of... So the dishes that come from some of that, the real, real vegetable-centered stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Do those oftentimes... are there, are Have new dishes been driven by the product?
2: I mean, it always is, and so I think... It always is. It, it always is, and there's a mix of having a plan of what we're going to do before, with it before we get it. But, you know, you don't really know what something's going to taste like exactly. And so I think the creative process is a mix of planning and being like, okay, when we get plums, we're going to do this. When we get beets, we're going to do this. Um, but then but, stuff might come in a little sweeter but, than... But yeah, but a lot gonna... of it, you just get it and you taste it. And then you get ideas and you make it a couple times. And at this point, after... Going through that process so many times, you know, like almost every day, it's actually become a lot easier. The creative part of the job is the easiest part.
1: Well, you have stuff in your back pocket now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like exactly. you, It's like it's like it's like when you go to see an improv comic. It's never all improv. Mm-hmm. They have little bits that they can connect. Yeah. Right. It's like that for a chef. Mm-hmm. No. Like you. Totally. You.
2: You've, and that and that's why it gets easier too every year, especially like at the same restaurant at Tusk. You know, we've gone through this. We're into our third year now, and if I can't think of. Something that I want to make and be like, oh, well, what did we make last year? Right. Let's do that again.
1: Do um, is this sort of sensitivity you were just describing? Uh, you know, like to what actually comes in on on the day, right? Mm-hmm. Where did do you know where you got the idea or the learning that you needed to um, you know, be sensitive to that and kind of adjust to that? Do you remember? Because I feel like this is something that's very. um I hear it a lot from chefs in your generation, Mm -hmm. exactly what you said, and largely from people who've spent time on this coast.
2: Um, Well, I know for me, so I did go back and work at Oliveto again, actually, after I left Philadelphia Mm -hmm. and moved to Portland, and they really changed the menu every day in, like, very kind of drastic ways. And so that was the first time I'd ever seen, you know, been sitting there prepping in the kitchen and watching, you know, a farmer come in with, like, a box of chicories and being like, do you want these, and them not having an idea what they were going to do with it until it actually showed up. And that's a little more extreme than we do at the restaurant. Like, we plan a little bit more, but I sort of, like, fell in love with this idea of, like, not really knowing what was going to happen and having to think of things on the fly. And it, right. it, it keeps it fun. And also, you know, not having to, like, make the same thing over and over and over again, it kind of drives some energy into the restaurant.
1: Mm-hmm. Stuff gets a little stale. Mm-hmm. You can feel the boredom in the execution. Yeah, well,
2: if... I feel bad for some of the cooks. Cause we have like some dishes, you know, where like that will be on for a few months, and yeah. you see them make it a hundred times a night, you know, a few days a week, and that's sometimes when we'll change stuff. Is like not that I'm sick of the dish, but I can tell there's not as much love going into it because the person that's making it over and over again just isn't excited about it anymore.
1: Yeah, and that I mean that I was saying what I said a minute ago with a slight amusement in my voice, but that is true, isn't yeah. it? There is some. Ineffable thing That'll that'll be off If the person cooking it I mean this sounds Very hokey No it's totally true But it's true
2: Yeah You can taste The love and food For yeah. sure
1: <laughs> Okay So what about The Fleetwood Mac Part of that thing I read What's the um,
2: I would say That's a fairly Loose connection So actually So you know Tusk is named After the Fleetwood Mac Album Okay And um, It started off As a joke Like that Josh And I would have Like oh if we're Going like, to name a restaurant Or a cocktail You name it After a Fleetwood Mac Song And
1: Who's the Fleetwood Mac Fan
2: Uh, We both are. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Um, And as we were talking about that, a couple of different people were like, oh, what about Tusk? And we were like, we thought it was funny and then we didn't have a name for the restaurant and so we sort of started referring to it as that in jest and then kind of got used to it and thought that it sounded really good and it stuck. I would say in terms of the vibe of the restaurant, and what we wanted to feel like there is, you know, a loose connection to Fleetwood Mac, and not necessarily specifically that album, but sort of that...
1: That vibe, that, that vibe. feeling. Um, that, yeah, that is... But... Uh, it's very compatible. I wouldn't say with... it was
2: like the, the restaurant and the concept came before the name and the Fleetwood I Mac connection. I understand.
1: Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, It makes sense. I mean, that music is very compatible with mm-hmm. the Pacific And it Northwest. sounds so
2: good in the restaurant, like, when it's playing, it's... Kind yeah, of perfect.
1: Um, so, what about uh, w- what about the future? Do you guys think about expanding? Are you happy with kind of. I'm not asking for a particular. Oh, no. But...
2: Um, well, Joshua's working on a couple of things separately for me, but one thing we're working on together with our other partner, Luke, is a fast casual restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Luke's wife is Israeli, and so we want to do something a little bit more in that direction where we'll do like falafel, shawarma, um, hummus pita mm-hmm. sandwiches mm-hmm. Is, and is, do counter service and have it be still use great ingredients still have it be really seasonal but have it be like a little bit more accessible you know right. like coming into tuscan instead of you know doing two to three hundred people in a day we could do a thousand and it'll be a third of the price and so there's like a level of accessibility and a level of actually having more impact on farms because we can buy more stuff and more people mm, can come oh, yeah, and have it and so
1: vegetables. yeah uh is fast casual like the holy grail for a lot of people? You know, I feel like um, well, I a think lot it's, of chefs it's moving I that way because you know, feel like that would be the thing that would give them the
2: stability. W- well, you can actually make money, right? You can doing have the stability it. to
1: um, to sort of and uh, you, cover some of the off periods in your other businesses. Or, yeah,
2: and so you know, a lot of the issues that we're having, like in the restaurant, in terms of you know, like staffing is a, such a huge one because you need skilled people to execute the idea that we have, but at a fast casual I think that it's more about building in systems you need less people to do it less skilled people to do it mm-hmm. and it's all about volume um, so traditionally you know the way restaurants are run it's really hard to actually make money doing them and people you know come in and see Tusk like oh you guys are busy every night you must be killing it and it's like mm, right. not really yeah. <laughs> but um
1: let me yeah let me show you our budget yeah there. exactly
2: when you look at how much How many people are there, and how much you know the quality of the product that we use, and the amount of money you have to pay everybody to be doing such a good job? It's it adds up.
1: And there are it's not like you're like that seven nights a week or however six nights, which we hope to be,
2: but yeah, we're getting there. It's
1: very hard to sustain. Yeah, like I mean, in New York, it's crazy. There's like this lifespan restaurant. I can't
2: even imagine running a restaurant in New York, honestly, because Uh, when friends tell me
1: they're going to do it, I beg them not to. Yeah, I mean it's it's so hard. And uh, and the public's so fickle. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of loyalty.
2: And it's such a big city. So many things are happening all the time that yeah. it's like, how do you like stay relevant?
1: Yeah. I mean, the blogs every week have yeah. openings, which is a bit crazy.
2: That's why we're lucky to be here. And I think, you know, because even though there are a lot of restaurants here now, it's a little bit easier to stand out in Portland than it is in somewhere like San Francisco or LA or New York.
1: What to, last question for you because we're almost out of time. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, I very much have the feeling here that there is, and I think this has become very different in different cities these days. It feels like there's a real community here. There is in for the sure. industry. It, it, I'm sure. I know it is competitive by definition, but it feels very tight. Is yeah, that accurate.
2: It is actually. I, I feel like in general, I don't feel the competitive nature of it, and I think part of it was, you know, there's been this huge restaurant renaissance in the past maybe six years or so here, and I think because we were all a part of it at the same time and all watching it grow at the same time, and so many people, you know, came from restaurants where they'd worked together that that community comes from, like, everybody working together to do their own thing. And So, so there's, that supersedes... There's, like, a lot of support. So um, that
1: supersedes the competitive piece.
2: Yeah, and we'll see, I think, you know, as more restaurants open and people slow down moving here, maybe there'll be a little bit more of a competitive nature but right now it just feels really good and everybody's just like excited to see people they care about being successful.
1: Yeah, it comes through. It's been really great being here for a couple of days. All right, well thank you for showing up today I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I've never met Joshua. Joshua, I'm just joking. Uh, He's not going to listen to this, it's fine. (laughs) That's honesty um all right sam great thanks for coming in thank you so much and again i need to thank travel portland stream pdx the julia child foundation and our wonderful engineer these two days aaron parecki for making our coverage of Feast possible thanks for listening and we'll be right back with some more interviews from Feast portland